So we've just finished the panel on uh, bank finance, and now we are still on the topic of finance, but now this panel is on project and alternative finance. Project and alternative finance is a particularly robust activity uh, in Norway, financing Norwegian projects, as well as projects all over the world. Um, I'm Nicholas Bornos of CapitalLink. Uh, I would like to thank Keith Bilotti, uh, the partner of Sweden Kissel, who is going to uh, moderate this panel. And I would like to thank, um, uh, I would let Keith introduce the panelists. I'd like to thank you all for joining uh, this very important panel and making our forum uh, a great success. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Nicholas. Very happy to be back here in Norway, even if it is on Zoom. You know, with any bit of luck, hopefully we'll be back in person quite soon. We have a very interesting panel for you here today with a lot to cover, so let's jump right into it. Alternative finance is a really broad and ambiguous term. You know, it generally means transactions other than traditional debt and equity financing. You know, at this point, it's really become a misnomer as it's become quite mainstream. It's a very competitive form of financing and it's on the balance sheet of, of many, many shipping companies. Um, at this point, I wanna turn it over to our panelists. You know, I'd like to give uh, them an opportunity for each of them to give themselves an introduction, tell us about themselves and if they could discuss their platforms and the solutions that they provide and uh, the access, uh, um, you know, and how they access alternative financing. So with that, I'll start off with Axel. Uh, the CFO of uh, SFL. Thank you. Um, Stola, I'm the CFO of uh, uh, SFL Corporation, as we know it's called. Uh, we have been listed on the New York Stock Exchange since uh, 2004. And uh, today we have a fleet of approximately 80 plus uh, vessels. And in terms of our fleet, I mean, uh, since inception, we, we started uh, with uh, a fleet of only about 40 plus crew tankers on bearable charters to, to one client. Today are, we have a diversified fleet. Line segment is, is by far the largest in terms of, of revenue. Uh, we have a diversified portfolio of clients and I would say it's been migrating from bearable charters to, to looking at the first quarter of 10 to one, we had more than 80% of the revenue coming from, from time chartered vessels. So. In a way, we have, call it perhaps, uh, moved away from being kind of a pure provider of alternative financing and becoming more of a, a kind of ship on with long-term charters, but, but yet a very financial hat, but, but kind of taking advantage of being part of the Sea Tankers group of companies and, and the setup we have. So if you look on, on how today, I think it's, it's twofold. Uh, we use it as a part of our capital structure. Uh, for each project we do, we try to tailor make the, the financing uh, attached to it. Uh, so um, depending on the tenor, uh, I mean, we, I think uh, majority still call it firstly in uh, bank financing from kind of our, our good banks, but, but also if we especially look at long dated uh, charters uh, seven to to call it almost 12 or 13 years i mean we find um, uh, japanese or shining leasing alternatives to be very attractive given the long dated uh, tenors and fixed uh, fixed margins really uh, so that's the one way we we use alternative finance but in some cases we also 
do bareboard charters like uh, over the last few years we did some deals with with the hunter group we provided more flexibility than they could achieve in the bank market uh, and that's also something we're looking at for the time being so basically we basically tip our toes in both words both as kind of a user of alternative financing but also provider of alternative financing yeah, I'm William. Uh, can you give us a little introduction on, on yourself and solo shipping and the solutions you provide in this in this space? Yeah, sure. My name is Jan William Denstad. I'm uh, 54. I've been in the shipping finance industry since uh, 1994. First 11 years with uh, DVB and previously that uh, NetShip Bank and started solo shipping in 2004. We have uh, done uh, one strategy since the beginning, and that's uh, sale and lease back transactions on bareboat basis, typically five to seven years, and typically including a seller's credit, uh, 10 to 30%, and always including uh, call put uh, structures. And we have done, uh, what is it, some 50 ships since we started. Currently have 40 ships in the portfolio. Uh, all different types uh, of ships, uh, really. Um, we focus, uh, first of all, on the counterparty, that they have uh, a system in place and financially robust. And then secondly, we look to what type of ships uh, uh, are involved, uh, but obviously making sure we buy at, uh, at a relatively low point in the cycle, definitely not high price. So we have invested, uh, what is it now, roughly $1.1 billion uh, in, in ships. And we have raised $450 million of equity, of which we have roughly 100, 120 um, million left uh, for uh, new investments in the, in the next year or two. So we are uh, actively doing deals at the moment. We have bought... Uh, Dry bulk and, and tankers uh, lately, uh, and we are uh, looking at several uh, transactions at the moment, and we have worldwide cover. Thank you. Nicholas Duran, the head of debt advisory at, uh, at Friendly Securities. Uh, Nicholas, maybe you could speak a little bit to uh, the solutions that, that Friendly's and, and yourself provide in uh, the alternative finance space. Absolutely, thanks. Um, so we, um, we are part of the Astro Friendly Group. We're the investment banking arm of, uh, of the group. We've been around since the mid eighties, roughly, as the investment bank specialized towards energy in the maritime industry. We quite recently merged all debt products into one team, which is the team that I, I now head. So that includes bonds, direct lending, uh, leasing, et cetera. And I think that reflects our approach to the business. Uh, we see debt as very much a, a complex and, and uh, bespoke product. Uh, many debt products could be applicable or relevant to the same uh, project or, or you know, task that needs to be, be solved. And so I think that uh, what we try to do is, is look at our clients' needs and come up with both the best structure and best source of capital to uh, match those needs and, and solve their, um, you know, what, what needs to be solved and, and addressed. So we have um, in our team about, uh, well, just on that advisory, eight people, one in New York, uh, six here in Oslo, and uh, one in, in, uh, in Tokyo as well on, on part of the business. 
And so we um, recently have been quite busy on the bond side. We've done three shipping bonds this year, totaling, I think it's $800 million. And in addition to that, we've been, or we always are relatively active in the leasing space uh, with everything from sort of uh, cruise vessels down to 10-year-old bulk carriers and everything in between. So we really cover the entire um, asset universe and then also the different uh, debt products. So that's us. Super, thank you. Uh, Christian Deschling is the head of project finance at NRP. Uh, Christian, can you can you tell us a little bit about NRP and uh, you know what you you folks have been advising on and uh, and the solutions you provide? Absolutely, that I can do. So, firstly, I mean uh, NRP is an investment boutique sitting here in in Norway. Uh, it was established about twenty years ago, uh, and we focus on two different sectors: one being the Nordic real estate market, and the other one being shipping and offshore worldwide. Um, so historically, NRP has been, I would say, an arranger of these, what we call the KS system here in Norway. Um, today, we have about 46 vessels uh, under management under these structures, uh, some of that being, say, leasebacks and others being more asset place within all different sectors, tankers, dry bulk, containers, car carriers, MPPs, even reefers, actually. Uh, and in addition to that, we uh, also uh, have an advisory department where we advise uh, different ship owners uh, obtaining different types of financing that could be different types of say, leasebacks or other direct lending products, uh, as well as regular bank financing, actually. Um, and in addition to that, we also have an asset management arm. Um, they manage today on the shipping side uh, an equity fund uh, on the shipping side who do co-invest with different owners uh, in different vessels. Uh, and they are also in the process of, of setting up a new credit fund, which is gonna offer non-recourse financing to smaller to medium owners uh, focusing on the assets. So I guess that's a short introduction of, of what we do here in NRP. Thank you very much. And last but definitely not least is uh, Andreas Rode. Uh, the head of business development and M&A at Ocean Yield. Andreas, can you tell us a little bit about Ocean Yield and, and, and what you guys are working on? I can. Thank you, Keith. Well, Ocean Yield, we're a maritime financing provider. Uh, I would say the majority of our business is providing long-term flexible financing. Uh, relative to, to SFL, like Axel, Axel mentioned, we do uh, the majority of our business on a bearable basis, i.e. we're a financing provider as such. Um, the majority of our deals are 10 to 15 years, so it's longer dated sort of financing, uh, similar to what you would get in, in Japan or, and or China. Uh, we have a fleet today of uh, just shy of, of 70 vessels and uh, average age is uh, just below five years. So the majority of our, our focus has really been on modern tonnage. Um, we have around $3 billion of, of backlog on EBITDA basis today, and the average uh, duration of, of our portfolio today is around 10 years, so, 10 years or so. So, you know, providing long-term visible cash flows, both to our investors 
and dividends has been an important part of our story through the equity markets and will continue to be so. We've paid out, you know, just shy of $700 million in, um, in dividends since our IPO in, in 2013. And, and the stock is currently sort of yielding, you know, around the six and a half to 7% mark on an annualized basis. Um, we're uh, fortunate that we have unique access to financing banks that are, you know, uh, seeing the merits of a uh, diversified uh, model such as uh, Ocean Yield. And, and we're currently lending from around 20 uh, well-recognized banks across the world. And we've also been, been utilizing the Norwegian bond market with great success to, to optimize our capital structure. Uh, we're part of the uh, Auker ecosystem, uh, which uh, Auker is an industrial conglomerate in, in Norway controlled by a Norwegian entrepreneur called Kjellinger Rekke, and Anaker remains our, our main shareholder, controlling just above 60% uh, of, um, of our shared capital. In terms of our business uh, and sort of where we're active at the moment, I think that if you look at our fleet, the majority of what we've done the last couple of years have been in, in what we refer to as sort of commoditized shipping, so tankers and bulkers. But we also have as SFL, a uh, substantial part of our portfolio uh, on the container side. Uh, and we also have uh, you know, investments in gas carriers, car carriers, and, and a smaller piece of our business in, in oil service. I think that's, uh, that's a brief intro to what we do. Terrific, thank you so much. You know, we're, we're at a unique and very interesting time in our history right now. We're emerging from a pandemic. There's tons of government stimulus. We have rising commodity prices. Um, there's an uptick in share prices. Uh, given this backdrop, given where we are in the markets right now, you know, what sort of trends are we seeing in the alternative finance space? Um, what types of deals are receiving the most attention in this market and gaining the most traction? Uh, I'll, I'll start with you, Jan William. Yeah, we, um, I mean, all the things that you say is a little bit worrying for us because uh, basically everything, you say is going to drive the asset values up, which may, takes us into more dangerous territory in order to invest in, in new tonnage. Uh, but we have been lucky to have done uh, several more traditional dry bulk and tanker uh, deals uh, so far this year. And we will continue to do that. We will look at the conventional tonnage, but also specialized uh, tonnage. Obviously, with these trends, uh, contracts, underlying contracts, will uh, will play in, uh, a more important role, um, as well as uh, the level of the seller's credit, because we we will not buy at inflated prices. But I think that uh, many ship owners uh, around the world is now very eager to both renew their fleets, but also expand the fleet, because in uh, if you well disregard containers. And some of the dry bulk sectors, but in other sectors, the asset prices are still attractive. So we actually see a lot of demand for new uh, requests, uh, basically uh, owners looking for sale and leaseback transactions in order to free up uh, capital to invest more. Thank you. Nicholas, uh, do you agree with that? Do you, do you have anything to add? What trends are you seeing in the market? Yeah, I think that... Um... I agree with all the comments you made initially on, on what we've seen changing in terms of, you know, uh, buoyant rates and coming out of a pandemic, increasing commodity prices. 
And what I think that's done is, first of all, drive the general sentiment towards shipping for the first time in quite a long while into the positive territory. We've obviously seen that in, in equities pricing up in the shipping space or across the maritime space. Uh, we also think the ban, maybe this is a bit con not conflicting, but challenging uh, Jan Lilham's view. We see that the banks are really turning around here on, on their previous position of being very cautious on shipping and preferably reducing their exposure. So we've seen a number of banks turning 180. You know, we have clients that we've been working on mandates with for high leverage lease financing and sort of five to 12 literally in the last couple of months they've pulled the plug and said look we're really sorry but asset values are up we can now get close to the same finance amount at you know l plus 200 uh the numbers we were talking just a few months earlier were totally different and uh we'd rather take that money and uh companies like those didn't really get that kind of attention from the banks or from the traditional lenders previously so I think this supports our view that uh, leasing in particular uh, and a lot of alternative finance products are more a counter-cyclical product. And I think it's served the Jan William and the Andreas and Oxid really well that there's been a huge demand for their product when, market, when shipping markets have not been so buoyant. But I do believe that um, we'll see the capital markets uh, on both the equity side and debt side, in addition to the traditional lenders, take sort of the lion's share of new business. And I think alternative finance products will go back to being a bit more of a specialized niche product in the next one to two years, at least for as long as the general sentiment about around shipping is uh, strongly positive, which is where this is uh, headed at the moment. So. You know, luckily, we're also quite heavily involved in, in bonds. So I think that the, there's probably going to be a number of new bond issuances. And, uh, you know, most shipping companies could, today, with the exception of uh, tanker companies, could probably raise equity. Not that I think there's room for a lot of new shipping companies in the public market. But, you know, I think they'll take the lion's share. So for us, we're going to continue uh working on our sort of staple products but i really do see alternative finance being a bit more of a niche and specialized product going forward and not as mainstay as it was yeah william did you have something uh yeah uh, i i just wanted a quick comment and i think uh nicholas is, is uh, perhaps right when it comes to the top top five percent maybe top ten percent uh ship owners worldwide but there's still 90% left uh, of ship owners we, who is not in a position to use bonds or uh, use the stock exchange and have all the banks running after them. So I, I still keep my view that there is a strong demand for, let's say, not the top 5 10%, but the ones below. So That's Axel, I'm very Go ahead, Nicholas. No, I just said that's a totally fair comment. Obviously, we uh, we can't be everything for everyone, so we don't cover the entire market, but it is definitely a fair comment from your medium. Mm. Now, Axel, Andreas, as, as uh, owners of uh, diversified fleets, um, you know, sitting in a position of uh, well-capitalized companies, uh, you know, do you agree with, with Nicholas's position that uh, you'll be accessing the, the bond markets and, and the uh, equity capital markets to fund 
you know, new growth or uh, do you see a spot in your portfolios for, you know, for alternative financing? And I'll start with, think, start with Axel on that. Yeah. I think, you know, for us, this is a win-win, you know, you see as a secular shift, uh, there's a lot of uh, attention from investors in, in the shipping space. I think, you know, for both uh, listed companies like Orskine and ourselves, that is, of course, very positive. Uh, investors certainly want to have meetings. They, they want to buy, get into the, the sector. Uh, also, the positive attention from the bond market. I mean, we just uh, issued uh, our first uh, sustainability-linked bond uh, last month. Very well received. So, so, so this overall sentiment is, is positive for us. Um, but, but again, always when you have historically when you have periods with uh, a lot of uh, call it uh, capital coming into the sector, of course, competition becomes fierce, and often that capital is mispriced. So you just have to be perhaps a bit more cautious and selective in terms of uh, of your investments, of course. But I think on for us on the marginal, we, we believe this is uh, is very positive. Andreas. Yeah, no, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, the when we had uh, this panel, I think uh, a year and a half ago, uh, we were sort of uh, joking about the fact and, and making shipping great again. And I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, we've, we've now, thankfully, in a period where uh, the majority of, of our customers and, and majority of owners are, are making healthy profits, uh, except maybe tankers, but tankers sort of came into this whole COVID era with uh, and period with uh, with a very strong market and the backdrop. So so they sort of made money coming into this. Um, I, I agree with Nicholas. I mean, um, as the markets have turned and, and people have started to make money, the banks have definitely sort of altered their their appetite and interest. Um, I also agree with Axel that you know as asset prices start to rise, you need to be sort of continuously selective and careful to to avoid sort of buying in at the at the peak of the market. One thing that's sort of worth mentioning is the fact that you know there has been an increasing degree of new build activity. Uh, both on the back of sort of increasing demand, but also on the back of increasing sort of focus on the environmental aspects and the change in engine technology in, in particular. So, so, you know, there has been a higher degree of new builds being placed uh, and orders being placed um, over the last, you know, six to nine months, which again, sort of, you know, creates opportunities for, uh, for providers of, of financing. And, uh, you know, some people will issue equity and some will, will use the bond markets, but others would like to, like ourselves and, and SFL, to provide, you know, uh, and, and secure long-term financing. Uh, you know, we seek long-term financing in the Asian markets, you know, 10 to, to 12 years money uh, as well as some of the owners that we do business with. They would like to, to have that certainty when, when they do their modeling and when they place their orders to, you know, avoid having a situation where they need to refinance their bank that after five years and find themselves in a market where banks are, are rather exiting them than willing to continue that relationship. Christian, what, what, what's, what trends are you seeing in the market right now? No, I mean, uh, I agree uh, with Niklas on the fact that the banks have absolutely become more active. And we see that also on, uh, on uh, call it the medium-sized owners. And, but at the same time, for many of these owners, you know, some of them have, uh, are used to, you know, they have had one local bank, for example, that they have talked to for, for many years and that bank is not longer there. 
um, they don't have the same sort of um, uh, differentiation in their capital structure and the, the bond market is not open to them. So for, for um, owners, smaller to medium owners, uh, would definitely say that the need for alternative financing is absolutely there. And at the same time, you have banks, you know, being pretty strict on age restrictions and things like that, where you have alternative lenders being much more flexible when it comes to, to profiles and, uh, and the age of the vessels, etc. Uh, and I, of course, uh, as Jan Willem said, uh, the potential for higher leverage is definitely there in alternative financing compared to what the banks can offer. So I definitely think that there's, um, there's a still a big need for alternative financing out there, especially for the smaller to medium owners. So kind of continuing with that thought, you know, where is it most appropriate for, for this alternative finance to, to fit on the capital structure? you know, these companies, especially in the, the small and medium companies, you know, alternative finance has often been, uh, you know, in addition to traditional finance, um, but, but how could it really work with traditional finance and sort of complement bank financing? You know, how should companies be thinking about entering into new alternative financing arrangements, you know, and under what circumstances is the higher cost and higher leverage sort of justified um, you know, to take on these these new financing arrangements. Um, Nicholas, I'll, I'll pose that to you. Yeah, I think um, it's a very interesting question. And I think it totally depends on what your alternatives are and, and how many alternatives you have. If you are a sort of tier one large owner with access to all kinds of traditional lenders and, and capital markets, uh, et cetera, then... I would probably say that what you do is uh, use the traditional lenders for all the uh, assets that they prefer to finance where they can sharpen their pencils the most. So, you know, typically your dual fuel, Newcastle Maxes or large container carriers, whatever, you know, where they'll be throwing money after you and competing on margins. And then I'd probably use alternative finance in the sort of more marginal business. So, smaller assets, older assets, assets that the banks are not that keen to, to refinance, uh, where they're not that focused. And uh, I think that's kind of how I would do it there. And, and for uh, smaller owners that don't have the same sort of large palette of alternatives, I think that uh, you can find also within the alternative finance space, you know, everyone thinks that it necessarily means super high leverage leases from Japan or China, that's not necessarily the case. You know, you can find uh, Taiwanese banks, small banks that are eager to lend you, you know, 60, 65% fairly conservative LTVs at fairly attractive margins, at least for people who don't have the Nordeas of this world throwing money after them at L plus 2%. Um, and so I think that What's interesting with alternative finance is that it's such a fragmented and huge space that there really is a product and capital source for everyone seeking any kind of debt. Hmm. Yeah. John William, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think he's right. Uh, I mean, uh, one way to look at it is to, to do the ships that the banks really don't want to, to touch or at least be very expensive, like Nicholas just said. But we also see medium or even to larger owners uh, wanting to do more modern ships because with the banks they can get 60 65 max 
whereas they could need 80 maybe, or even 90. Uh, and then we come into to a role again, even on, on more modern tonnage. So, but again, it's, this is not an A4 product. It can, uh, every deal is different and it, it uh, fulfills different needs every time. So it's, uh, it's a matter of structuring and, and uh, the demand there and then for that specific owner. So I think there's another aspect. I think that you know we we come across owners that have, as as Nicholas alluded to, have access to you know great financing from the Nordeas of the world, uh, but still want to sort of maximize the leverage that they have on what they often refer to as their core fleet, i.e. Fairly new vessels that is an integrated part of, of their fleet and that they know they will own basically from the vessel is new until uh, she's uh, sold uh, either for scrap or, or for, for alternative use. Uh, and they want to sort of, you know, capitalize on equity uh, either in those vessels already today, perhaps as a combination of, you know, the Nordeas of the world and, and common equity. And sort of, you know, take that equity out of the vessel if you want, and, and use that for either further growth or or other purposes. Uh, or they want to make sure that when they place sort of new build orders for those kind of core vessels, they want to make sure that, you know, they have a financing structure which is in place for as long as possible, i.e., fifteen years or so. So, so then you basically have, you know, people trading off uh, the conventional and, and often cheaper bank capital uh, for a longer dated and higher levered uh, financing. And, uh, you know, you can often say that some also use that to call it bootstrap their equity and use it as a tool enabling them to raise equity when the timing is right. Uh, and as we've known, the, the windows for raising equity in the shipping markets have been, you know, uh, fairly short. Uh, and there's many factors that need to sort of be aligned with asset prices and earnings and equity markets, all being sort of open and, and attractive at the same time for it to make sense for, for at least some of the smaller owners to, to print equity. Axel, you know, as a diversified fleet owner, you know, is there an optimal alternative financing transaction if there was one? You know, if these guys were gonna to present to you some sort of structuring option, you know, what would you find attractive in this environment today? Um, I think I'm going to refer to the gentleman on, on the you know, panel today, I think when we look at uh, alternative finance uh, as a financing option, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be Japan or, or China really, uh, in terms of a JOLCO, or uh, kind of Chinese uh, traditional lease financing, which has kind of the, the cost of capital and tender that, that we, we can, can uh, take advantage of really. Uh, and then we have several job calls, we have several lease facilities, and it's really complementary to our, our bank facility, uh, in particular for transactions that have a longer dated tender, where it can match the uh, the long data chart with uh, financing back to back. Super. You know, I want to shift gears a little bit here and, and talk about the investors that are, you know, backing the alternative finance companies. You know, we've seen a, a retreat to a certain extent of some of the private equity out of the out of the equity of shipping companies. Um, shipping companies have always struggled to have long only money come in. You know, at the equity level, um, and so I wanted to get your sense for. You know, basically, who, who's investing in these projects? 
what are they focused on? You know, what are you selling them on? What, what are they prioritizing in terms of, uh, you know, these sort of investments? Is it cash flows? Is it credit? Is it management? Um, you know, who are the investors and, and, and what are they focused on? I guess the question. Uh, Jan William, I guess we'll, we'll start with you. All right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we invest our own money to get aligned with uh, the other investors. Then we have a a group which uh, has backed us from day one, which we call the friends and family type of investors, which are primarily Norwegian ship owners slash shipping linked families and family offices. And on the back of, uh, of that, we and, uh, and our track record, we, we also raised money from institutional investors for the first time in 2016. And that's uh, pension funds uh, from the US uh, and the UK. I think what they like with us is, of course, a good track record since we started. We have done uh, some 50 ships and only had one hiccup. And we have delivered a very stable, good uh, uh, return uh, in terms of IRR and have a lot of focus on cash on cash returns so that they get the decent uh, yield. Last year, we paid out 15.5% uh, based on committed uh, funds. Um, and it's the risk reward, basically, that, uh, that they have and also the privacy. I think they like that we are private and uh, not all, all over the place uh, for every deal we do and, uh, and, tell, and tell them who are investing with us. Nicholas? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously it varies a bit for the, for the type of, of uh, lessor or, or capital provider, but we have seen, well, you're right in your comment that private equity is, really been trying to exit shipping the last few years. I think the big exception would be in forming and funding alternative finance platforms. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I can count probably at least 10 uh, alternative finance platforms, at least uh, that are backed by some form of private equity firm. And uh, some of them have been quite successful. Uh, others have not. I think the, the, key point in providing alternative finance is uh, cost of capital arbitrage. And if you don't have access to cheap back leverage, there is no cost of capital arbitrage. Some PE firms have succeeded in, in uh, finding that back leverage and uh, have managed to make it work. Others have not and sort of just been sitting there with a platform that's never really growing. For the listed companies, obviously it's all the institutional investors uh, but I really do think that um, companies like Ocean Yield and Ship Finance uh, will start to see uh, a return to their stocks by the generalist investors to a much higher degree because the, the general interest and sentiment around shipping also among the long onlys of this world is really coming back. So, you know, I don't see any capital moving out of this space at all. I think there's going to be a lot of equity coming in. And uh, hopefully not so much that it uh, drives the, the uh, access and availability to this kind of capital over the top and, and then collapses our industry. But I think that there's a lot of equity going to be coming in here from various sources. Christian, do you have anything to add? 
No, I think I agree with with Niklas on the fact that you know yes, the money is coming or funded by private equity companies or credit funds or other types of pension funds, etc. And and as Niklas mentioned, um, I would say that the, the alternative lenders that are most active now are the ones who are able to to keep the cost of capital down. Uh, they have also experienced, of course, the the increasingly competition from from banks and other sources. Um, and, and some of them have uh, been uh, able to sort of formalize uh, certain relationships with, with the different lenders uh, and in that sense have access to cheaper uh, back capital, which again enables them to continue to have the return requirement that they have on the equity side, but, but at least for the, um, for the users of alternative financing, the cost of capital has come down. Um, so I think that's definitely an important way of what we've seen lately. So just to shift gears a little bit, but to kind of stay on the investor theme, um, investors are hyper-focused on environmental, social governance, um, especially the E part and the ESG. Uh, we are in the decarbonization era. And uh, I guess folks don't generally like to give predictions as to what's gonna happen in the future. So I'm gonna kind of ask the question in a little bit of a different way in that, you know, how do you think uh, alternative finance sort of fits within the decarbonization agenda going forward. Um, are folks going to be able to uh, finance older vessels, less efficient vessels, um, you know, going forward? Or, uh, you know, or is this segment of the financing market going to need to further evolve? Um, or, or are folks just really going to pay lip service to the, uh, to the decarbonization and socially responsible investing and still go after deals that uh, they, they find profitable. Uh, Axel, I'll, I'll start with you. I think, you know, for the existing alternative capital providers to have uh, a certain return hurdle, um, they've already shown that they're willing to invest in, uh, in older assets compared to banks. You go to traditional banks, they will normally say that if it goes beyond 15 years, they're not inclined to, to lend to such a vessel. So I think that that's a policy that's, that's becoming a standard in many banks. Um, but that also comes uh, probably less uh, fuel efficient, less, call it less a greener assets. So in, in that respect, I, I believe alternative financing will play a, a greater role. Also as more uh, cheaper financing is coming in to finance the new vessels. I think uh, they absolutely have a role to play for, for that type of vessels. But of course, on the back end, they also have LPs that also start to have ESG concerns. So, so at the end of the day, if you have all vessels that, that do not have any eco features, uh, life becomes challenging. Yeah. Andreas, do you have anything yeah, to add uh, to this? Yeah, no, I think that, you know, uh, and, and the most, the majority of the people on this call sort of saw uh, the whole wave of, of uh, eco vessels and, and people, uh, particularly on Wall Street, you know, went to private equity and they, they talked about eco uh, revolution. And I think that uh, Andreas Uman Pau 
at that point in time when they IPO'd uh, BWLPG said it, uh, you know, quite nicely. He said that, you know, we don't believe in a revolution. We believe in a, a eco-evolution. Uh, and I think we're, we're, we'll see the same now when it comes to sort of, uh, you know, the environmental aspects of, uh, of vessel types and engines, etc. This is sort of an evolving trend. And I think, uh, as you say, it's hard to sit here for any of us really to predict uh, what the future will bring. Uh, there will be change. And there will be, uh, I think, ample opportunity for for all of us. Uh, some people will, you know, uh, focus on call it older vessel with uh, call it uh, the older engine types, and, and also the, uh, you know, be able to price that that risk and 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 be, be able to sort of price into the way that they do the business. Uh, and then there will be you know deal deals where you have the call it the green stamp where you're able to to seek cheaper financing from again our our sources of financing and as such be be more competitive and i think that you know a lot of uh, interesting things can can be read out of, of history and looking at sort of you know the discussions now both with the uh, oil uh, and and also sort of older vessels i think that looking at the tobacco industry probably is a good is a good uh, um, you know way of, of looking at how that industry was you know forecasted to to a, a fast death really in the post 1999 or what have you and guess what you know people are still you know yielding decent returns in the tobacco industry uh, despite sort of all the criticism and the fact that we know now that it's it's not good for your health but there's a market for for all of these things i think what we as ship owners and financing providers should definitely do we should be able to stimulate uh, all new type of, of initiatives uh, as long as we're not sort of you know jeopardizing the risk reward that we're seeing for more conventional uh, vessels at least promotion yields perspective if we had two deals side by side one had sort of a, a call it green stamp and one had a more sort of conventional um, engine type we would always opt for the for the green and modern one but you know that said there's also risk involved in being uh, with being the, the first mover and and, and, and as such you need to price that into your models yeah william yeah, I, I fully agree what uh, what was said here. Uh, from our side, it's it's quite funny because all these ESG hot topics uh, we have had in in our bearboat charter contracts, all these clauses from day one. So we we have had that focus, but it was not popular to talk about. But now we have an ESG policy, and it's all very uh, shining and nice. Uh, I think all of us will be retired by the time the whole uh, world fleet uh, has been renewed with uh, green, green features. And in the meantime, we have to make the most of it. In 2023, you have these energy efficiency indexes uh, kicking in from IMO, and you have the Poseidon principles that we will try to, to follow as well. Um, uh, so I think um, going forward, yes, if we can... Uh, have a nice uh, vessel with uh, green features and we have the same return or maybe even, even lower return. Yes, we would probably look uh, very favorable at that. But we also have to be realistic and say that the world fleet is not there. It's gonna be derated engines and slower speed so that the emissions will, uh, let's see, at least the E part of the ESG uh, will come down. And, and I think that the fleet will need to stay there. Uh, and uh, it will be financed. 
Nicholas, uh, how does alternative finance fit, fit into the, uh, the decarbonization agenda going forward? Well, you know, in my view, like I said earlier, I think any kind of provider of alternative finance is really dependent on the cost of capital arbitrage and, um, and the lower cost uh, back leverage that facilitates that. And as long as you have things like the Poseidon principle and banks really hammering hard on the E part, well, actually on all parts of ESG, but it's for the purpose of this discussion, the E. Um, I think that that's going to flow down through into the alternative finance providers, not just the big listed ones that are faced with more scrutiny, but also others. And, uh, you know, for the ones who put it this way, as long as, the as long as you're dependent on the banks and they put pressure on you to uh, not provide uh, finance to vessels over a certain age or that don't fit certain criteria uh, and to have uh, provisions in your uh, lease agreements on, on scrapping and things like that. I think that the ones who, who, don't, who will not be impacted by this will have to provide alternative finance at their cost of equity. And that's not a viable solution for anyone in this industry you can never navigate through the cycles of the shipping industry with a cost of capital of, uh, of um, 15% or 20%. That's just not feasible. So I think that uh, things are going to change. But like Jan-Willem and Andrea said, it's going to be a, a, a gradual shift and a evolution more than a revolution. So, you know, yeah, that's our view. Christian, we have, uh, we have one minute left. So any closing, closing thoughts? No, I mean, I, I agree with what, what, uh, most of what's said. I mean, ESG is important to everyone. I mean, even us as, a, as an advisor. But uh, I mean, shipping is still one of the most environmentally friendly ways of transport. So uh, older vessels will still be needed. Uh, uh, there are not enough new buildings uh, to cover the, um, uh, the need for transport today. And, and I definitely agree that these vessels will be financed by alternative lenders. Well, thank you very much. I uh, want to thank all of our panelists today for a very insightful uh, discussion. Nicholas, you do such a wonderful job of bringing all of us together uh, with these panels and conferences and, and hope to see uh, everyone soon in, in person. Thank you very much. Thank you, Keith, and thank you to everybody. Uh, great panel and great discussion. Thank you again. And thank, thank you, you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.